Okay, can you guys hear me? How's this? I got to get through hair. Sorry. <laughs> weird. Never had that problem before. So weird. How are you guys this morning? Hey, it's my pleasure to be here with you this morning sharing God's Word. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, my name is Pastor uh, Andy. Um, I had this, uh, this preaching fantasy that I was going to call, come up here and give everybody my call sign because I know everybody's seen Maverick, right? <laughs> but Viper's taken. That's a cool call sign. Maverick's taken. Goose is taken. Eh. Anyway, I'm not going to give a call sign. You guys can let me know. Call sign. Maybe the claws. I don't know. Maybe something. It keeps getting weirder. Hey, I'm thankful that you're here. Thanks so much for being here. Let's go ahead and, uh, and pray, and then we'll get started this morning, okay? Father God, you're good. You're really good to us, and you're good to bring us here, God. And, and we're here for the purpose of worshiping you. That's why we're here. And so, God, we turn our service over to you, the preaching of your word and the hearing of it, God. And, and we are praying, God, that you would do a great work in us as we just Think about what your word says and apply it to our lives. And we just know, God, that, um, that there are people here. People come in with needs. People have things that are on their heart, God. And we believe that your word will speak to those things. And so that's our prayer, God, this morning. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, we were blessed. Mark Black led us through Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. He did a great job. And we're still in Solomon's wisest words this morning. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 28, starting in verse 13. So let's just go ahead and um, it's, a, it's a quick, easy verse, but has a lot to it. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. There's an old expression, and it goes something like this. It all looks good on paper, right? That's an idiom. That's an idiom. An idiom is a phrase or an expression that typically presents a figurative, non-literal meaning attached to the phrase. So, for instance, if I said, Whew, man, did you see how hard it was raining out yesterday? It was raining cats and dogs. Well, there's no cats and dogs involved in that. You know that. There's no cats and dogs. It's not going to rain cats and dogs. Or if I decided to do something right, and I said, well, I saw the light. There was no light involved. I just decided to do the right thing. I just I came to my senses, and I decided to do what was right. And you know, the truth is what appears to be, what appears to be so good and looks so good on paper and sometimes looks so easy and so simple, can have really deep meanings with really deep, deep implications. And that's the case with this verse. There are just deeper things to consider this morning than what's at surface level. And so while it's short, it packs a wallop. It's got a little bit of a punch. And when you really think about it, it really has some deeper meanings. And so I just want to unpack a few points this morning 
um, and uh, get us to really thinking about the deeper implications of this verse. And here's the first thing I'd say. Point number one is we're just all broken. We're all broken. Every one of us are broken. We live in a fallen world. We come from broken families. Not always, but sometimes. We have broken people around us. We, we're broken from the fall. That's for sure. I was at a counseling conference a couple years ago, and I heard a guy make a statement that always, it's just resonated with me. I think it was Tim Pasma. That doesn't mean anything to you guys. Um, he was a great speaker. I've just never forgot it. I've never forgot it. It was so true, so clear. And here it goes. Whatever you, pre, whatever you describe determines how you prescribe. Whatever you describe determines how you prescribe. In other words, wherever your starting place is, that's how you define a thing. That'll have a huge part in determining what you ultimately do and where you end up. Or, however you describe a problem, whatever that problem is, will help you determine where you end up as a remedy. Isn't that great? It's really clear. And it's true. And we have to understand that a failure to describe ourselves correctly, it just means that we're off in our solution. We'll be off in our solution. You see, it's, it's essential that you and I see ourselves how we really are. We have to see how we really are. If we're off in our description of who we are, we'll be off in the remedy for who we are. And so we want to think of ourselves and present ourselves to other people in the best light possible, don't we? Julie will tell you, as a family, the hardest conversations we had as a family, the most sinful conversations we had were on the way to church and we cleaned up by the time we got to the parking lot. You guys laugh. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We have skewed views of ourselves and yet the Bible tells us honestly who we really are. We're sinners. We're sinners and we live in a sinful world. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we just, we have to be honest. We have to be honest about who we are. That's the starting point. Do you know that we're all broken? Have you ever considered that before? It's, it's just true. I know. I know it seems like such, a, such an unkind thing to say, but it's It's true. And here's the other part of that truth. We're not just a little sinful. We are utterly sinful. We are utterly sinful. We're sinners and we're totally depraved. Everything about us is affected by sin. Our minds, our will, our emotions, it's our flesh. Everything is corrupted by sin. It affects every area of our life, and it's, it's kind of who we are. We're sinners. And it fleshes itself out in what we do. Even the things we want to do right, our righteous actions, are like filthy rags before a holy God. 
Isaiah 64 says, We've all become like one who's unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Or Romans 3, 9 through 12, that says, What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? No at all. Not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin, and as it's written, none is righteous. Not one. Not one person. No one understands. No one seeks uh, after God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Or Psalm 14 that says, The fool says in his heart, There's no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable things. There's no one who does good. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? We're utterly sinful. In Psalm 51, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Or what about Ephesians chapter 2? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, and among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You guys have a Bible with you? If you crack that Bible open, and I hope you do, right? You'll find it filled with examples of people that are broken, except one, and that's Jesus. Look at David. He was a man after God's own heart. That's what it says. And in 1 Samuel 13, it says, he's a man after God's own heart, and yet he's broken. Do you remember what he did? You remember what David did? Oh, my. Remember when he sent Uriah to the front lines to be, conceal, uh, to be killed, to conceal his adultery? And then he gets confronted. You remember who confronts him? Nathan. Nathan confronts him about his sin and talks to him about how broken and sinful that was. And then in Psalm 51, he admits and repents to his brokenness. And he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. What about Peter? What about Peter? Peter in Matthew 26. Though they fall away because of you, Lord, I'll never fall away. You see how he cleans himself up? Isn't that what we do? We clean ourselves up. But what we really need to have is an appropriate view, a right biblical view of who we are. And then later, in Matthew 26, you see Peter, he sits outside the courtyard where Jesus is being treated contemptibly, says they're spitting in his face, they're hitting him, they're slapping him, his Lord and Savior is being treated shamefully, and this servant girl comes up to him and she says, hey, weren't you, weren't you there with Jesus the Galilean? But he denied it. He denied it. And then Matthew says, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know that man. I don't know that guy. And immediately what happened? Just trying to wake you up. Or how about Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 6? So when the woman saw that it was a delight to the eyes. The fruit. 
and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And then both their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Their solution was to sew fig leaves together and make loincloths for themselves. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves, concealed in the presence of God. And then in verse uh, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 10, Adam said, Well, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid myself. And from that moment, from that moment, Adam and Eve's pride worked itself out in the garden, and their sin was transferable. And it transfers to you and me. Their sin is now transferred to you and me. That's who we really are. That's what the Bible says. We're broken people with a sin nature. We're broken people living in a broken world because of sin. I have a book on my bookshelf. Surprise. I love books. It's got a couple different authors in it. It's called Gospel for Disordered Lives. But here's what it says. Sin pervasively touches all parts of us, including the inner and the outer person, and our relationships with God and with others, and also our capacity to carry out what God has designed us to do. We humans no longer naturally live in right relationship with God and others, and our bodies groan. Our bodies groan under the curse of the fall as surely as the rest of creation does. Because this is who we are. That's our starting place, not our ending place. This is who we are. And because of our brokenness, we can't respond the way we should to anything apart from God at work in our life. Nothing. You think you can. You can't. You can't. And that's the whole idea behind Proverbs 28.13. And the second point is, we're all concealers. We're all concealers. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth to his nearest neighbor, for we're all members of one another. No, jo no doubt Josh will say something about my Ephesians candy. I always manage to talk about Ephesians. Love it. But here's the truth. None of us are honest as we should be. And in our brokenness, in our brokenness, we aren't honest about our sin. We're concealers. We conceal all the time. This is what Proverbs 28, 13 says. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. And can we just talk about concealing for a second? The word conceal means to hide, means to cover up. It's cover up. The one who conceals or cover up or hides his transgression. And that word for transgression is a word that really means rebellion. The one who covers up his rebellion. That's serious. That's really serious. And in our sinfulness, we attempt to cover our rebellion against God. 
We don't always recognize him like we should. We don't follow him like we should. We don't always treat him with the respect and the reverence that we should. We go against what he says in his word. I know it's heavy. We make choices and go ahead and do whatever we want rather than obey God. That's pride. That's our pride. We make other things more important than him. We make other people more important than him. We make our schedules more important than him. We make our finances more important than him. That's our pride. Every time we sin, every time we sin, it's a matter of our pride. Every time. And the root cause of all of our sin is the sin of pride. Remember Adam and Eve. It's the sin of pride. Their sin of pride going against what God said to them in the garden. Disobeying Him. Eating the fruit. This is all rebellious. It's all rebellion. And that's transgression. And their best solution was to conceal and to hide from God. And that's exactly what we do. Charles Spurgeon says, Every man since the days of Adam has gone through much of the same experience, well, more or less, relying on his own ingenuity, to hide his own confusion of face. And he's discovered that sin has made him naked, and then he sets off to clothe himself. That's a, that's a bold statement. And we devise all kinds of strategies for lying and concealing, covering up the facts. Think about what we do. We minimize, make the issue smaller, minimize the risk, right? Minimize the damage. We deny. That could be just flat-out denial. That did not happen. I did not do that. That is not a problem. That's denial. We rationalize. You know what? They had it coming. They had it coming. I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody knows. How many times have I heard that one in the counseling room? Nobody knows. We'll get to that. And justifications. It was worth it. What else do you expect me to do? Wouldn't you do the same thing, Andy? We work our way around the truth in sinful ways to attempt to avoid responsibility for what we do, just like Adam and Eve. Just like Adam and Eve. And we hide from God or we attempt to. We try to do the same thing in our responses when we're, when we're confronted with the truth of God's word. Rather than depend on him, we simply try to conceal our sin or just deny that it's a problem. The great theologian John Stott says this, At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the enemy and humility, our greatest friend. And that God hates pride so passionately because pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on Him. And so rather than admit we're wrong and ask God to forgive, we argue. We negotiate about our rightness. That's sinful. Because after all, He is God. Do you know how big he is? He's huge. 
You can't fathom. You can't fathom him. Can't. He's huge. And not only that, can we just talk about the futility of, of trying, to trans, like trying to conceal your transgressions, your sinfulness, the sinful things that you do in our rebellion? Have we forgotten who we're dealing with? This is the God of the universe. He's the one who spoke everything into existence. Job 38 says, God laid the foundation of the world and determined its measurements and laid its cornerstone. He commands the morning and causes the dawn to know its place. This is the God who knows everything about everything and everything about you and me. And we think we can hide? Our best strategy is to hide from God? That is not going to go well. He's the God of everything. Psalm 174 says, He determines the number of the stars and gives them all their names. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Just this morning, I had a Facebook thing come up, and there's a guy I know from back in southeast Iowa. His hobby, his hobby is to take pictures of stars. He's got this crazy camera. And he's explaining all these technical things about how he opens the aperture and leaves it open for nine hours. And the pictures that he gets are incredible. And he just posted this. It's either Messier or Messier 92. It's a star cluster. That star cluster is 26,740 light years from us. And light travels at 188,000, I think, 188,000 meters per second. Miles per second, excuse me, miles per second. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's, that's enormous. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing is hidden from His sight. There's not one thing that happens to you or me that's, that's not aware in God's sight. Years ago, Julie and I had uh, someone give us this book it's a cute little book. I don't even know if we have it anymore, but it was kind of a little coffee table book, and it was full of quotes of people, and it's things I've learned. And it would give like the quote, um, the person's first name and their age. And one of my favorite quotes is, is from a little kid who was seven years old, and here's what they said. What I've learned. I've learned that you can't hide broccoli in a glass of milk. Isn't that true? You're not going to hide broccoli in a glass of milk. That's awesome. And you know what? And you can't conceal your sin either. That's true. You can't hide your transgression. You can't hide your rebellion against God and prosper. And that word for prosper, you know, to advance, to make progress, to succeed, to be profitable, You can't, it's not going to go well for you, spiritually speaking. He knows and he sees. He has his hands and his fingers in everything in our life. He's not dissuaded by that star cluster out there and then what's going on in your life or my life. And we are all accountable before God about what we say and what we think and what we do. And that's the whole point. 
Matthew 16 says, Jesus is speaking. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You can talk yourself into believing that you can do whatever you want, that you can treat God and others the way you want, and that there are no consequences. You can try to talk yourself into that, but don't think for a minute that you're getting away with any rebellion, any transgression, any sin before God, because we're all accountable to Him. And the third thing is, God provides a way, confession, forsaking, and finding mercy. You know what's really hard? What's really hard is when you admit you're wrong, because our pride runs deep. I don't like to admit I'm wrong. Do you guys like to admit that you're wrong? Is that fun? No one really likes to admit they're wrong. We want it our way. We'll manipulate to get whatever we want. But look, the remedy for moving us forward in the right and good direction in our life is to counter our flesh. And the flesh says things like cover up. God says open up. When we confess, he's faithful to forgive. And in our pride, we say hide. And God says be, be honest, be humble, because you're not going to prosper any other way. Sin is weight, and it weighs you down. You know this is true. Confession lightens the load. Confess where we're wrong. Let God change us. That's the way to go. Throw off your cover-up strategy and put on humble confession. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Couldn't be clearer. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have yet to meet a person. I have yet to meet a person in the counseling room who genuinely confesses their sin to God and repents and walks away from whatever that thing is and they say, Andy, that was a total mistake. I have yet to meet that person. What I do hear a lot is you have no idea what weight has come off of me. You have no idea how good that was for my soul. Confession is great for your soul. And confession has to happen with a sincere heart. Thomas Watson, who wrote a book on the affair, says, Our hearts must go along with our confession. The hypocrite confesses sin but loves it. Like a thief who confesses to stolen goods yet loves to steal. Confession without sincerity is just lip service. Confession without sincerity is lip service. It's just more, it's just more cover up. Psalm 32.5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you will forgive the iniquity of my sin. And then this business of forsaking. John Owen said, your state is not at all to be measured by the opposition that sin makes to you, but by the opposition you make to it. 
We have to oppose our sin. You can continue to do the thing that causes you problems, but don't expect to really make progress and prosper. You're definitely not fooling anybody. That's the whole idea behind Proverbs 28. You're not fooling anybody. Remember Genesis 4, when God speaks to Cain, he says, If you do well, won't you be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door. And this desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And so forsaking your sin is a verb. That means effort and action. It means effort and action on our part. We have to do something. We have to participate in what God wants us to do. Remember John 8, when, when Jesus sees the woman caught in adultery, he says, sin and go, go and sin no more. And the whole idea is forsaking is to follow through with not repeating the same sins, rebellion, transgressions, over and over and over. And so we'd all admit that it makes no sense to desire to be different. And all the while, continuing to, do, continuing to do the very things that draw us in and causes us problems. Thomas Watson also says, A true penitent, a repentant person, pursues his sins with a holy malice. He seeks the death of them and is afraid to come near sin anymore. He's afraid to lose God's favor, which is better in life. And lastly, God's merciful. God is merciful. He really is. Now, some versions, you might see mercy is compassion. He's merciful. He's compassionate. It means to love, love deeply, have mercy, be compassionate, have tender affection for. It also means that he withholds what you have coming. And that's compassion. Is there anything more hopeful than knowing somebody's compassionate and in your corner? When you do what's right, when you do what he wants you to do, he's compassionate, you'll find mercy there. I was in seventh grade. My dad passed, some of you know this, my dad passed away when I was 10. Um, seventh grade was a really hard year for me. It's been so long ago. It was, it was, it was a tough year. And uh, after football season was over with, they announced that they were going to have a dad and lad cookout. And so you come, you turn in your equipment, and then, and then after that, there's a dad and lad thing. Well, the, I knew the pain was coming. That just is not where I wanted to be. And so I had determined that I was just going to go to this thing, turn in my equipment, and be done, put my head down, and go. But I got near the field house, and I could smell the hot dogs cooking. <laughs> I could smell it. I could smell them. Which just keyed me up and made me that much more sad. So, I had a strategy, 
And my strategy is to go in, hand my stuff in, put my head down, and leave like I never saw the thing. That's what I was going to do. And as I came out of that locker room, I heard somebody say, Hey, Andrew. I turned around, and it was a guy named Roger Williams. Now, Roger was a friend of my dad's. And he and Doris were friends of the family. And he came over and gave me kind of a side hug. He didn't have to say anything. I don't recall him saying anything. You have no idea what that meant to me. My friends, none of my friends' dads did that. I don't fault them for that. That was unprompted. He was just there. But that thing he did, that was compassion. That's what that was. That was compassionate and caring. And as kind as that was, this is what I want to tell you. God is more than that. God is so much more than that. Roger Williams did not know everything about me. God knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. He knows when you hurt. He knows what it is to struggle. He knows what it is to be deep-sixed by your sin, to want to cover, want to hide. When you think nobody else cares, He does. When you think nobody else cares about you, He does. When you, when you think about it and you think everybody else has forgotten about me, He hasn't. When you think no one sees your struggle, no one sees your effort, He does. And when you're real and you're really honest about your struggle and your sin and you're serious about following along and doing what He wants you to do, He always follows through. He's compassionate and He's merciful. That's who He is. You know what people really want to know is if somebody really cares. God does. He cares so much for you that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for you in your place. Jesus died in your place and my place because of our sin because that's who we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And he saves you when you're real about who you are. And you know that you're a sinner in need of saving. And you're honest about your sin and that you can't save yourself. And it's by his grace that you're saved. When you believe in Jesus by faith and in saving you by his grace, he shows you his incredible mercy, his incredible compassion. And then gives you eternal life. That's the gospel. And then as a believer in Jesus, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. He gives you the the power to continue to put off all your cover-ups for sin. He shows you how good He is. And He helps you see more and more and more of who He is. And then He grows you. And He changes you. And he helps you turn from the things that continue to trip you up. And he helps you see more and more of his mercy and his compassion. That's who he is. So where we started, what are we? Utterly sinful. Who is God? Utterly merciful. And he calls us to put off our cover-ups. To really, really trust him. Not make excuses for our sin, but to put our faith and trust in Him and keep on trusting Him. Let's pray. Father God, You're good. Your Word is good and rich and powerful and effective. And it's sharp and helps us to make, helps us to see what's necessary, God, and helps us to make right decisions. We're thankful to be here, God. We're thankful. We're thankful for your word, God. We're thankful that you've preserved it for us. And we're thankful, God, for the work that you're doing in us. And we, we ask you to do more of it, God. Please do more of it. Help us, to, help us to remember and understand the importance of not concealing our sin, but, but continue to confess and continue to turn away from those things, God. We want your mercy. We want your grace. And continue to work in us that way. And so, God, thanks for being who you are. And thanks for the good things that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.